June 29th, 2022. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Daf and we're in the wide lines. If you count down six lines, the second word on the line. If you recall the context very briefly, is that Rabban Gamliel, the Gemara said, was encountered by, says the Gemara, Minin. There's a different Nosach, a different Girsa, maybe Sidukim. Either way you slice it, it's people from outside of the traditional camp who are approaching Rabban Gamliel. It appears to be Jews. Um, Minim would be new Christians at that time period. Sidukim would be those who are scoffing at the oral tradition. Uh, Minim is a little bit harder to understand why Christians would be questioning this. It's part of their tradition, or it's part of their religion, uh, resurrection of the dead. Uh, Sidukim is a little bit easier, because after all, if there's no explicit mention in Torah, that might be the claim. What's with this tradition that you have of Tehiyata Metim? Anyway, the question to Rabban Gamliel is, uh, where do you see Tehiyata Metim in your Torah, in our Torah, better yet? And Rabban Gamliel's initial response, the Gemara said, was, I'll prove it to you from Torah, from Nevim and Ketubim. We read yesterday the Torah attempted proof and the rebuttal. The Nevim attempted proof and the response of these Minin Sidukim. Lastly, Min Ketubim. He cited a Pasuk Dichtiv in Shir Hashirim. V'chikech kiyen hatob holech ledodi lemesharim. Dovev Sifte Yeshenim, the most important part of that pasuk, or the last three words. Of course, Shir Hashirim describing a relationship between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Am Yisrael, between uh, the beloved and the lover. But the end of that pasuk, specifically in the context of that love, is Dovev Sifte Yeshenim, which describes Dovev, some sort of uh, statement, utterance, Sifte, the lips of Yeshenim, those who are resting, meaning those who are dead. The ability to have lips moving uh, from the death seems to be portraying God's ability, God's promise, uh, God's reality of bringing forth of resurrecting the dead. Says Rabban Gamliel implicitly to these minin sidukim. You see, we have a reference in Ketubim as well. The response to him in turn, or the rebuttal is, Vidilma, Milashon Dilemma, maybe, Rehushe Merahashan Sifvate Be'alma. The response is, maybe that's not a reference to an actual resurrection of the dead. It's rather only, Be'alma, that last word, only, Merahashan, uh, the movement of Sifvate, of lips. All it's referring to is the fact that lips can and will move after death. What are you talking about? Kirbi Yohanan says the Gemara. I don't know if these Minin Sidukim were well versed with the statements of Rabbi Yohanan, but alternatively, what the Gemara is describing is the response was one along the lines of what Rabbi Yohanan described. What's Rabbi Yohanan's statement? Rabbi Yohanan Mishum Rabbi Shimon Ben Yehosadak. Kol mi shene'emra halacha bishmo ba'olam haze siftotav dovevot bakever shene'emar dovev siftei yeshenim. The statement of Rabbi Yochanan goes as follows. Any person uh, about whom and uh, with regards to whom a statement of halacha is said in their name after death, their lips move in the grave. That's quite a bold statement on many levels. First and foremost, are we to be taking this literally? Uh, secondly, if we're not to be taking this literally, what sort of message is there here? And thirdly, uh, what, what are the specifics? It has to be in the name of the individual, a devar halacha. 
So I would suggest, uh, there are many uh, different approaches to this matter, I would suggest the follow, following. First and foremost, moving backwards with regards to the name. There is a debate, interestingly enough, about whether um, uh, publishing anonymous books is ideal, or specifically you should have your name on it, because after all, that's the way people will mention your name after death, and there's some sort of merit to it. A tradition would have it that it's not fully clear with regards to Jewish tradition what we've accepted as the most appropriate. A book like Sefer HaChinuch, which is a staple and household book, has no author. We've, uh, for, for generations, for hundreds of years, wondered who the author was. We used to think it was Rabbi Aharon HaLevi. We're now uh, believing that it's someone else. We don't know who wrote it, and yet, nonetheless, it's quite a foundational book, and it seems to have been written purposefully anonymous. There are many other books and works that are anonymous along those lines. On the other hand, there are works that are specifically with the name. There are commentaries whose name is painted all over them, and they were done that way from the onset. Not fully clear with regards to the statement here per se, whether Bishmo needs to be specifically in your name after death, or alternatively, it's just a thought which you brought forth and as a result, it's repeated after death. In the book, Panim Mi'irotis is debated. As I recall, I once saw a conversation in Maran HaChida, Bihaim Yosef David Azulai's works. I would take the vantage point and the angle over here that it needs to be in the name of the individual specifically, and I'll tell you why I say so. It goes as follows. To be a human being means, by definition, to have human attributes and facets. Part of that is pride. There is a certain pride that human beings exert whether, quote-unquote, we want to or not, it is part of the human personality. The statement here in the Gemara of that speech with lips goes as follows, and in turn will reflect, will turn backward to the, to the pride of the name being mentioned. You see, Maharal and other uh, Jewish thinkers uh, point to the fact that speech is oftentimes, if not always, associated with the human capacity. That's not to say that animals can't correspond and don't have dialogue in some sort of way, but historically we envision human beings as transcending the animal kingdom through our ability to speak. If you look at medieval philosophers, they classify different systems. They describe the difference between animals and human beings as high and midaber. Just life, that's animals. Again, not to say that dolphins don't talk and other and birds are not chirping one to the other, but human beings who have crafted languages, who have the ability to on a higher level correspond and dialogue with one another, that's middaber. So it means already when we describe human beings, we're describing speech, but there's more to it than that. Because to understand speech means by definition to describe humanity as opposed to divinity. Godliness doesn't have a necessity for words. The greatest capacity we could tap into, even as human beings, is thought. Harambam, as a matter of fact, famously in his Moreh Nebuchim says, ideal prayer is one which is contemplative, specifically. I've said it on more than one occasion. If I just sat here together with you and you were reading my mind, you wouldn't be as confused as I leave you on a daily basis from this class. It's my speech which throws it off because I need to confine my thoughts and put them into words which could be confusing. That's by definition a human uh, uh, reality. In order to get across a message to you, I need to use words. If I was divine, if we were able to read minds, you'd tap right into what I meant. And in truth, the second I put something in words, I'm giving it that clothing which is already confining it. When I speak about God, it's greater to just think about him than to put him to words. You're by definition minimizing, making him finite to a certain extent by calling him great or even infinite. Because if it's no word could express it, it 
just in, in thought, that's endless, that's boundless with regards to its possibilities. It's for that reason, for example, Maharal points to the fact that the Gemara in Masechet Nidan Daflamid, when it describes that famous Midrash of the baby in the womb of the mother studying and knowing the entirety of the Torah, as it makes its way out into this world, the angel taps it on the mouth, at which point it forgets Torah and comes out into this world. What's with the mouth and what's with the forgetfulness of the Torah? The mouth, says Maharal, is the human capacity. The second we become human beings is the second it's no longer all just pristine and, and, and forever knowing. It's the second that we now are in a real world and as a result needing to achieve on human levels. It's for that reason he points to Moshe Rabbeinu's inability to speak in a regular fashion. Moshe Rabbeinu beyond the regular human capacities was in that intellectual world, in that spiritual world, stuck there, so to speak. As a result, I bring you back to this Gemara to describe an after-death, quote-unquote, not full resurrection, but what you and I can do to the legacy of another human being after their death means that I can effectively have them speaking, meaning I'm giving them a human life even after they've deceased, even after they're gone. So they're in the grave, but the way in which I'm going to describe their continued life as human beings, not just as a soul, as human beings, the best way in rabbinic language is to say they're speaking, they're talking. It's for that reason as well, it needs to be with their name mentioned because that's the human side of it. If it was just a thought, if just a concept or a construct which is left over by the person who was once alive, fantastic, that's a reality which is in existence. But the person, the human capacity, the human character is lost from the scene. It's bishmo. As a result, in our Gemara as well, it's along the lines of you know, that's the, it, this needs to be coupled with that statement in Pirkei Avot, in Masechet Megillah, of Kol HaOmed, Davar, B'Shem Omro, Mevi Geula La'olam. To bring a redemption to this world is by mentioning it in the name of the person because you're transcending time. You're, instead of seeing this as no longer a life, you're bringing forth the life of that individual. That's in, in this context. Just lastly, you know, along those lines, in terms of that capacity, that's this, the Harambam on many levels, is in, in his mystical thought, if, if you will, it aligns in his own words, in his own ways, to those of the Mikubalim. For example, Nefesh HaChayim breaks down in the Kabbalistic system how we envision a Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama. And he tears those. He has them at separate levels. Nefesh is actions. That's the most coarse capabilities of human beings. Uh, ruach is speech. That's something in between. Beyond that is nishama, is thought, is that capacity for tapping into the essence of something. Again, it's a description. Nishama might be my divine side, my, my pristine divine side. It's how I connect to God on the highest level. Ruach, milashon revach, that space which we place between ourselves through speech is our capacity as human beings, which is an ability which is specifically human, and in turn, we're empowered to, to make that pristine, to perfect that. You know, that is the famous Targum Unculus on the Pasuk of Vaipach Be'apav Nishmat Hayim, the Pasuk says. Says Unculus, what does it mean, Nishmat Hayim, that God breathed into human beings the, the soul of life? Ruach Memalela, Memalela, Melashon Ledaber, Memalel Gevurot Adonai. The ability to understand our life as human beings is the ability to understand our life with the capacity to speak, to articulate. Yes, it's finite. Certainly that's, that's diminishing, but 
that's what it means to be a human being. That's the statement here in the Gemara. Okay, well, that's their response. So the Minim say to Rabban Gamliel, not a great proof, because all that means, in our words, is to continue the legacy of the individual. It doesn't mean that he's actually coming back to life in a real way, quote-unquote. Says the Gemara, Finally, Rabban Gamliel seems to have won the debate, ironically, with this pasuk, Lahem, the Pasuk says, and we say it in Kiryat Shema, that God promised your forefathers to give them the land. Well, he did promise to give them the land, but the Pasuk doesn't say that he was effectively going to give it to us. Why would he be giving it to us as opposed to them? Well, after all, Abraham was told, it's not going to be you. It's not even going to be your first and second generation after you. That's going to be far down the line, 400 years from now, that they'll inherit this land. So why does Pasuk say, Latet lahem, to give to them? Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. They're not the ones who are going to inherit it. Lachem, lo neemar. It doesn't say that he was promising, really, to give it to you, meaning Am Yisrael, who are standing on the cusp of entrance into Eretz Yisrael, as Moshe is speaking to them. Rather, Rather, the Pasuk says, God promised to give to them, to your forefathers, to Abraham, Tzach, and Yaakov. But he didn't promise to give it to them, and they're not going to inherit it. suggested. You see, even Abraham, Tzach, and Yaakov are going to inherit in a physical way the land of Israel. How so? With Tehiyat HaMetim. And alternatively, he responded, Min HaMikra Hazeh, from a different Pasuk, where he seemed to have clinched this debate uh, with the Minim Sidukim, Rabban Gamliel. Min HaMikra Hazeh, Amar Lahem, Ve'atem Again, the words of Moshe at the end of Sefer Devarim turns to Am Yisrael and he says, you, this nation situated in front of me, you're all alive today. It's quite simple that you're all alive today. How am I speaking to you? How are we involved in a conversation? So why is it that Moshe says, you're all alive today? He's referring to them. He's hinting to them, perhaps, even at a time when everyone else is dead, you guys are eternally alive. The same way today you're all alive, so too for eternity or in the future for eternity or in the future at a certain juncture, you will be alive. That's the reference in turn. One of those two that Rabban Gamliel seems to win this debate, seems to prove in some way or fashion that Tayyata Metim is Min HaTorah. But the Gemara doesn't suffice with just that Memra. We have plenty more with regards to the Tanaim and Emoraim uh, defending their position that Tayyata Metim Min HaTorah. Sha'alu Romim et Rabbi Yehoshua ben Hanania. The Romans at some point and in some Situation as Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania, Minayin Shakadosh Parachum Mehayemetim, Veyodea Mashe Atid Lihiot. Can you prove to me, can you point to some verse in which, some pasuk in the Torah, in which you, you can see, you can glean, you can find a remez, Harambam in his Ma'amar Tehiyata Metim. It's important on another occasion to discuss this Ma'amar. Harambam famously wrote a treatise on uh, resurrection of the dead. And the reason he did so is because he was attacked during his time period for not accepting and embracing this Tehiyata Metim in the Torah. He does mention it in his 13 Principles of Faith, but he has little to no mention of it. He has veiled mention and just on the side in his Mishneh Torah. So, and little to no conversation of it in his Moreh Nebuchim. And as a result, even his student, this is the, the word that's, that seems to be written, even his student for whom he wrote Moreh Nebuchim, 
you have to imagine I was a prize student, was one of those who was very nervous about his rabbi, his mentor. You seem to be going against the principle of the Gemara, of the Mishnah. We need to accept Tahiyat Amitim. Do you accept it? So Arambam has this entire ma'amar, this entire treatise in which he addresses these matters. It's, it's a whole scholarly debate and rabbinic debate until today and for, for some time as to his full intention with it, what was his, what was his direction in it, how much, and so on and so forth. But in it, he refers to, as I recall, many of these ma'amarim, and he calls these ma'amarim remazim, even though the Gemara is using that word minayim, which generally speaking we imagine as the source, quote unquote, this is more the remez. What does a remez mean? A remez means it's left open to interpretation, to a rabbinic, to a future generational interpretation, but we read it into it and accept that as some sort of binding uh, reference in the text. But that's important to be mentioned. Anyway, the question over here is, question? Is resurrection then same as Gilgul, or is that different? No. The Gemara has no mention of those, that word Gilgul. There was for generations a debate about that word Gilgul, about accepting it as even a traditional thought. The Gemara has no, no reference to that. Gilgul is along the lines of the following, I mean, without a full understanding, because I don't have it, it's along the lines of the following. It's after a death of an individual, they'll come back in regular existence with the uh, body of another in order to somehow, uh, so it's reincarnation. Whereas Tahiyat HaMetim is, as Avi Harari, in the future time, I'm back here, right? Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, the question in turn uh, to, to Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania is, is twofold. And it's an interesting twofold question because instead of just being, how do you know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is mechayet amitim, it's furthermore, how do you know that God knows the future? What does one have to do with the other? You'll see in the answer, well, the answer is very uh, convenient, but even in reconstructing the question of the Romans to the Bioshua ben Hananya, that's their question. What does one have to do with the other? I would suggest two interpretations, both, both uh, you know, you'll have to decide whether you like them or not. The first interpretation I would suggest goes as follows. Um, is he, um, uh, someone like Ramchal, Moshe Haim Lozato, in his book Da'at Tevunot, he makes the claim, not for, per se, the Gemara already does it for Min Torah, but he makes the claim for a logical Jewish philosophical understanding of Tehiyat HaMetim. His claim goes as follows. He says, if God, the infinite, and all-being, and all-powerful, and all-capable God, uh, crafted humanity, crafted a world in such a fashion. Yes, he places deficiency. Absolutely, it's incomplete and that's open for us to perfect it. No questioning that. But, I mean, let's just look at 2,000 years. Let's just look at our 2,000, past 2,000 years. How successful have we been in moving the bar forward? I know some of you will tell me technological advance is fantastic and we have many people who are more literate today and has the world really progressed? Have we ethically and morally perfected ourselves or come closer to perfection? I'm sorry to be the pessimist, I'd suggest not. Let's say you suggest yes. Are we really on our way to world perfection? Are we really close to figuring this whole thing out and quote unquote bringing forth redemption? The argument of Ramhal is, no, we're not really going to be. We're not really going to be. That's right, we're going to need, says Ramhal, a tahiyat ametim. One second, why so? He says, it's inconceivable that God would create a world wherein, according to his understanding, we cannot bring it to perfection. It's an incomplete world by definition then. It's not that God leaves it incomplete and he leaves it for us to complete. It cannot be completed. You will never perfect yourself entirely. You'll never perfect the world entirely. Seriously? 
Is it possible that God couldn't create such a world? Why wouldn't he do so? Suggests Ramha, that's where Tehiyat HaMetim comes in. Says Ramha, that's where Tehiyat HaMetim, this break, this pause in the action where an out-of-world existence will in some way or another bring forth an enhanced capability. So you did the initial work in this iteration of existence. Then there'll be that pause in action, quote-unquote, and then a resumption of, a resuming of, of, of where we began. In other words, the description of Ramha, without getting further detailed, you'd have to read it and we'd have to learn it together, is that essentially, Tehiyat HaMetim is a reality in the eyes of our tradition because it's a necessity based on uh, the, the, uh, the, the historical progression of existence. That then is, is the interlinking of these two things. God knows Mashi'atid Lihiyot. Since he knows Mashi'atid Lihiyot, it's, it's the proof that Tahiyat HaMetim, not the proof, it's the suggestion that Tahiyat HaMetim is a reality as well. If God knows that, in order to bring forth this perfection, you need Tahiyat HaMetim. So we're coupling one with the other. Do you follow? All right, that's one suggestion. The other suggestion, long, different lines, goes as follows. It says, Tahiyat HaMetim, I would suggest Tahiyat HaMetim is, is against the natural course of existence, obviously, right? The way course of existence works, the way life works is we live our lives, we get older, and as a result, we deteriorate, and as physical beings, anything that's physical, ultimately speaking, meets its demise. To then argue that there'll be a revival and a renewal is against any natural thought. There's no such, we have no such paradigm in existence. I know we talk about renewal, and we're very proud of it, and psychologists will stress it, but that's not real renewal. That's Let's something... That's right, but we're suggesting, that's exactly correct. So in other words, to argue, and we're going to get into this in the Gemara, to argue some sort of spiritual uh, return, all right. To argue a physical return is against anything natural that, that we're familiar with. Yeah, but the, the, the spiritual can't, we can't understand how it manifests without the physical. I agree, but we can't wrap our heads around in a temporal world that we live in, in a world that is governed by time, how it's possible that we can reverse the natural course of events. Right? That's, so in turn, that's how I understand this. The only way you can conceive of such a thing, which you can't, is if you transcend time. That's the only way you could conceive of a return of physical when in reality, as time progresses, you lost the ability to renew, because there's no renewal. The body is now deteriorated. It needs to be then, if God can and does transcend time, which means to say he knows what's going to be, because he's living, he is existent both there and here and in the past as well, all at once, well, that in turn is the, is the linchpin. That's, that's in turn uh, the promise and the explanation, quote unquote, to Tehiyat HaMetim. The only way you could possibly wrap your head around the reality we're in, we're turning back the clock, is if you live above the clock. The way we can talk about living above the clock is by saying, I know what's going to be in the future. How do you know what's going to be in the future? Because it's not the future, because it's in the present and past, all at once for me. This was a motif in the, in the, uh, in the thought, in the philosophical and, and ethical thought of Rabbi Soloveitchik, for example, when he talked about Teshubah, the way he described what repentance is. He says it's the ability, it's the responsibility that we have to collapse past, future, and present. 
Uh, for example, if you read a book, you begin the book, and so the protagonist does something terrible. You can't imagine how things will get better for that person. Things are only going to get to the middle of the book, and the guy's life, the woman's life, is really on the, the throes of, 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 of ending it all. When the book ends, if it's a book that's you know, written in that perfect fashion, you realize that not only was there a capability to get out of that quagmire, that difficult uh, circumstance, but it was specifically because they made their way down there that they were able to then emerge on the top, right? In other words, the vision is instead of being stuck in that moment and realize, oh my goodness, I can't get lower than this, it's to see this as an opportunity to be connected to what's taking place later on. That's an ability to transcend time because instead of saying I'm stuck in this moment, I have a broader vision of what this action and what this state of being is really about. Anyway, that all being the case, the question to the twofold question was, how do you know that God is mehayemetim? And furthermore, how do you know that he's going to, that he knows the future? Amar lehu, he responds, tarvayu min hamikra hazeh, I can prove, I can suggest both from the following pasuk, sheneemar vayomar adonai al Moshe, hinecha shocheh so he reads it as again two separate pesukim with the word vikam as part of the first one. We discussed this yesterday. It's not the way we read the pesukim from the Torah, and it's going to be their response to him again as well. But he's reading it as follows: Moshe is told by God, "You're going to die, vikam, and then you'll rise up." Period. Fantastic. Furthermore, you should know this nation is going to uh, do all these promiscuous, wrongful activities. That's God knowing the future. Twofold mention. Fantastic. Their response to Rabbi Yoshua ben Hananiah is Vidilma, maybe Vikam Vizana. Maybe you need to read it all as one. It's not that Moshe is going to be resuscitated or resurrected, it's rather that Moshe is going to die. And then God says, this nation is going to stand up, rise up, and do all these rotten things. Uh, in which case, Rabbi Yoshua ben Hananiah, where's your proof for Tehiyat HaMetim? He responds to them, Amar Lehu, he says, all right, but I got, I got you on one, right? Didn't I? Amar Lehu, Nakotu Miha Palgabi Adaihu, you can at the very least hold on to half in your hand, meaning I have set forth a pasuk that says, God's predicting the future. Maybe I didn't set forth a, pro a proof that there's tehiyat ametim if you're reading if you're reading it in your way. And again, in in my our vantage point, by effectively stating that God knows what will be, you've given him the power as well to resurrect. If you've placed God above time. You've placed God in the position to bring forth uh, the resurrection of the dead. In truth, it's the eyes of uh, Sephorn. I'll look no further than the Mikraot Gedolot page. He has the first words in Torah, Bereshit bara Elohim et It's those enigmatic words, the first words in Torah. Bereshit bara, the beginning God created. Beginning of what God created? For real, that's the basic question. Rashid struggles with it. Everyone struggles with it. Bereshit bara Elohim et In the beginning of... Blank. God created the heavens and the beginning of what? Swarno suggests it's at the beginning of time. Time is a construct. Time is something brought forth for this world, for a physical world. It's not very different than Einstein's general direction of thought. The thought in turn, as it affects us over here, is if God is above time, if there is a reality, if true reality is beyond time, then resurrection of the dead is not beyond the grasp of anything and anyone. 
Again, it's not something as human beings we can easily comprehend, but if we accept that, we can accept the other. Yeah. Is Rabbi Yoshua saying the word kam is proof of tichiyatimitim? Yes. So then he's essentially saying that there's going to be tichiyatimitim vizana, and yes. then after tichiyatimitim they're going to go astray? Moshe, you're going to have tichiyat ha-metim. Before that happens, by the way, Moshe, the people are going to go astray. Well, that's not the way it's written. That's correct. So Rashi yesterday, because this was mentioned in the Gemara yesterday, Rashi quotes from Gemara Masechet Yoman Dafnun Bet, the Gemara says over there, there are several pisukim which can be read in two ways, and the rabbis were uncertain about the right way, but it means that it's capable of manipulating. Radvaz, as I recall, has in his Teshubot a question. He says, why are our Sifre Torah not written, and they're pasul if they're written in such a fashion with Nikudot, with Sof Pasuk, and so forth, and his explanation, I've mentioned this on more than one occasion, his explanation is because that would take away from so much of the Hachamim's ability to find truths in the Torah. The Torah is purposefully written in his eyes as this open book to interpretation, to quote-unquote, in a positive way, manipulation, because we don't have a set in place so far. We have tradition on how to read it and so forth, but that's not to say you can't find truths in reading it otherwise. Itmar Nameh says the Gemara, uh, along these lines, Nameh means as well, it was stated, Amar Biyohanamishum Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, this is a statement now from Eres Yisrael, uh, in the name of Rabbi Yohanan, in the name in turn of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, same statement though, again, that twofold question, instead of being posed by the Romans, it seems to be independent to be Shimon ben Yochai. Period. Right? Vizana and so forth. Uh, Tanya says the Gemara Abiraita Amar Rabbi Eliezer Birbiose. Davarze Ziyafti Sifre Minim. He says, I was able to prove the forgery of the books of the heretics. Now, Minim, again, as I told you, is generally speaking, we imagine it's Christians. It's, I mean, I don't know the history over here. But Christian, Christianity historically did not, did, well, they, they also, they didn't skew the Old Testament. They always accepted our Torah. They just held that and, and, and maintained there's a New Testament. It's only in our debates and our battles with Islam that they claimed you manipulated it, you took out, it was supposed to be Akedat Ishmael and you made it into Akedat Yitzhak and so forth. So the fact that in this context, he's debating and he's saying, I proved to them that they, they in their editing of the Torah are wrong. I don't know that it's referring to Christians because I don't know that the Christians were at any point editing the Torah. They were just adding on to it. But anyway, he says, I turned to them and I told them, you see, our Torah is right as we have it based on our tradition, not the way you wanted to edit it or censor it. Shahayu Omrim, their claim was, their claim was, and as a result, they didn't like that word in the Pasuk, lahem. They had it instead as lahem. He says, I told them, you're wrong. Amarti lahem, ziyaftem toratechem. You guys have made a forgery of your Torah. And you came out with nothing. Oh, you attempted to fix this, you attempted to edit it and change it, but effectively you, you messed it up. Uh, you guys want to change the word lahem to lachem because you maintain that there is no metim, but don't you agree with reading every word carefully? Aren't you of the opinion as well that every word has a certain meaning to it? How do you explain the following words? Words in the context of a blasphemer, a person who curses God. Harehu Omer, the Pasuk says, a person who does so curses God. 
about whom we learned plenty earlier in Masechet Sanhedrin. Pasuk says, shall surely be cut off. That double wording of hikaret, tikaret, always the double wording provokes the imagination of the rabbis. It always provokes them to, why does the Torah need to repeat that? Why couldn't it just say, v'nichreta? He'll be cut off. Hikaret tikaret ba'olam hazeh. Well, uh, on the one end, hikaret tikaret, that references in this world. And then the next words, avona ba, uh, his sin, uh, and in turn punishment is upon him. Le'emat, when's that referring to? You told me he shall surely be cut off. I'm paying careful attention to those words. It's full cut off. And then you told me, avona ba, le'emat, what's that referring to? Lav la'olam haba, is that not perhaps referring to beyond this world? You see, there is olam haba, you see? is a reality which is perhaps only referred to but is referred to in the Torah in an implicit perhaps fashion. Amale Rav Papa Abaye. Rav Papa says to Abaye, was that really a winning argument? And he said, hikaret, hikaret, lehu, why didn't he alternatively respond to them? Reading the words of the Torah carefully, not because of hikaret, hikaret, and avonah ba, but rather read it as follows. Tarvayu, you can read both olam hazeh and olam haba from just those two words, mihikaret, tikaret. Uh, you shall surely be cut off. Hikaret is from Olam Hazeh. Tikaret is from Olam Haba. Again, the severity of cursing God brings forth being cut off from him both in life here and life beyond the here and now. But learn it just from Hikaret, Tikaret. Answers the Gemara, Inhu havu amrele debera Torah kelashon bene Adam. If he had tried to claim it like that, that Hikaret, Tikaret, is splitting it as you're cut off here and you're cut off there, they would just respond. They would just respond. That's the way human beings speak. Human beings, the Torah is written in a fashion that human beings could understand. You'll surely be cut off. Don't read into it that much. I mean, it has to bring a smile to your face. I mean, because now he karet, he karet, and avonah ba is not kelashon bene adam, but okay, apparently, in the eyes of the hachamim and their derashot, that's more explicit in the pasuk than he karet, he karet. It's very, very clear, though, when you karet and a nefesh, that's obviously talking about something that's not physical. Is it? It's a nefesh, it's not, it's not the... nishmat hayim. Yeah. And when the Torah has nefesh, is it... I, I you're certainly right in the traditional sense. If you're reading Torah Shebikhtav as a, as a barberav, as a, as a young child, and you're just trying to translate the words, is by definition reference to a soul, a reference to some sort of otherworldly existence. Many people would tell you today that it's a reference to consciousness, which is in the here and now. It doesn't per se, you're right, traditionally you win. I'm just saying from, from to prove it empirically, not so simple. So that the hikaret, hikaret, uh, in yeah, yeah. All right, anyway, so it says the Gemara Kitanae. In fact, this sort of question methodology of how to read these Pesukim of Hikaret, Hikaret, and Avonaba is a Mahloket Tanaim. Kitanae means from the rabbis from the time of the Mishnah and Beraita. Hikaret, Hikaret, the Pasuk again says, he shall surely be cut off. Hikaret, Ba'alam Hazet, Hikaret, La'alam Habad, Ivrer Bi'akiva. The Bi'akiva indeed is Doreshet that way. It says, Hikaret means here, Tikaret means there. Amar lor bishmael v'alok varneemar et Adonai hum megadef v'nichreta. Pasuk immediately beforehand already mentions v'nichreta. Oh my goodness. How many times then do you have cutting off in this context? Three times. V'nichreta, hikaret, tikaret. V'chishlosha olamim yesh. I get it, Rabbi Akiva. We're accepting two worlds. Hikaret, tikaret. But if I have three references of karet, 
And what are your three worlds that you're being cut off? Ela v'nichreta ba'olam hazeh. Hikaret la'olam haba. Hikaret, hikaret, dimera Torah, kilashon b'nei adam. He says, rather, let's start with the first v'nichreta. That's cut off in this world. The second hikaret, next world. Hikaret, hikaret, that's just a way of speaking. Ben l'rbi Ishmael, ben l'rbi Akiva, avonah ba, ma'yavdebe. Says the Gemara, okay, I get it. What about the last words in the Pasuk? His sin will be upon him. His iniquity is stuck to him. This response goes as follows. Well. It says that Avonaba is teaching this is specifically and only true when the sin is still upon you. What does it mean the sin, the sin is still upon you? As opposed to if you moved past this sin. Had you moved past the sin, you did Teshuvah. If you turned away from it, so then you've, so to speak, rid yourself of that wrongdoing. This is a reference in the Torah to the acceptance of Teshubah. Yes, sir? So, the way that this Gemara is explaining to us, Tefiyat HaMetim is after Olam Haba? No. Tehiyat HaMetim is being equated in this context with Olam Haba. There's the following debate. Harambam, who has little mention of Tehiyat HaMetim, has Olam Haba as being this Olam HaNesh, you're not running anywhere anyway, of being Olam HaNeshamot and Tehiyat HaMetim being, so to speak, along the lines of in the Yomot HaMashiach. So it's a preceding stage. So my wife said, after you die, don't we have this belief that you go to Olam Haba? Yes, Tehiyat HaMetim is a lower level than being with the Shekhinah. You, you might argue so. Alternatively, you might argue that an operational existence wherein there are greater challenges, and as a human being, I can perfect it, is a greater opportunity. Sometimes that distance, that corporal existence, is the opportunity to rise, rise to higher, the greater heights than if I was separated from. That's the vision of many. In other words, yes, on the one hand, when I'm speaking face to face with the individual and hearing their every word and, and feeling their presence in such a fashion couldn't get greater than that. On the other hand, I understand them best. I've perfected myself better through a little bit of that distance, through operation in this world. So it means Tehiyat HaMetim is not per se a diminished level. Tehiyat HaMetim is the diminished level with regards to called level of sanctity, with the opportunity, with the potential of a human being to affect, to change. Tehiyat HaMetim is what it's about. I'm now living with my body and per- proposition and purpose to find meaning within this, find the spirituality inherent within it. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.